Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Everybody and welcome along to RadioLamont.com. It's Wednesday night, so it's can only mean one thing, as it's just after eight o'clock here in the UK. It is Midweek Motorsport Series Ten, Episode Forty-Five, I believe. Uh, this is John Hindoff, and up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, uh, John. I'll open my fade and then you, everyone can hear me, not just you and Nick. <laughs> uh, Nick Damon is just off to my right. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, John. Good evening, John. Good evening, Nick. Good, Good evening, evening, Nick. Uh, <laughs> this is going to become... <laughs> I can see this becoming... Uh, uh, on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? We have all the usual features. That's not necessarily true, but we like to say that anyway. Alfred Wallace got in early. Hang on, uh, we have more than that. All right. We have not one, not two, not three, but four special guests. Are you sure? How will we I know find got the time? One. I know that we've got one. The one that's that we pre-recorded. Yes. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. That's fine. Uh, potentially uh, four special guests, uh, as well as our usual contributors. And Alfred Wallace got in early with the apologies for absence. He said potential apologies for absence. He is at Cadpig, of course. I may be out of range as the driver of the Toyota that is meant to pick me up has retired. And more on that, of course. That will be our test top story uh, later on. Uh, but uh, remarkably few apologies for absence uh, tonight. Uh, Wiki Smurf will be listening to the podcast on his 27th birthday tonight. He is dedicated to his PhD thesis. Very good. Uh, good to know that. Uh, I would like to say thank you very much to everybody who allowed us to go and uh, be a part of the Race of Remembrance at Anglesey at the weekend. Uh, and a particular thank you uh, to David on graphics and timing, to Scott, who was a whiz with bits of equipment that I hadn't even seen before, and uh, to James on vision and audio for getting uh, getting everything sorted out so that we could uh, get some of the broadcaster or some of the race at least to Mortis TV. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, it was uh, much appreciated, all your hard work uh, and your resilience in the bad weather. Um, let's have a quick look at a couple more. Um, overtime approved by the responsible adult, says Dave Olcott. We should be able to do it without... Uh, and uh, Matthew Heinemann saying, birthday meal, uh, apologise for missing tonight. I hope it was a nice meal. You'll be listening on the podcast, so uh, 
hope that you had a nice uh, meal, Matthew. Thank you. Uh, and no apologies for Pete Newton. He's listening uh, up. Ah, he's parking up for the night, and he will be listening live. Ooh. Stuff. Um, I would also like to thank Neil Gardner and uh, his very lovely lady, Rachel, for making me um, very welcome at their home today. Uh, Neil is NG Auto Art, and you might have seen uh, a Twitter picture of the 993 that Neil has uh, done for me in in pencil. Nick, you've seen it. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? It is amazing. And I pointed out, I did like the fact that he's uh, picked up on your general laziness because he's even illustrated the tax disc you haven't taken out the window, even no. though it's two years out of date. In, in fairness, um, it was an old picture. Yes, you've just taken it out the last minute. No, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. The, um, the reflections just done with pencil is something I've um, really not seen before. No, absolutely brilliant. And uh, would make a, as I tweeted earlier on, would make a great, great very personalised Christmas present for yourself or for anybody that you know who uh, is uh, into motor racing, either a, a favourite car or indeed your own car. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at com. I very much doubt he'll be doing many diesel astras, though. Uh, Nicky <laughs> is that Swan your favourite car, Nick? No, I'm saying it was your favourite car. It's unlikely he'll be doing many diesel astras. Uh, Nicky I'm Swan guessing he's probably quite busy and may not I will be able get to, this in in a moment. <laughs> may not be <laughs> able to... Well, let's not change the subject while we're talking about okay. NG Auto Art. Uh, okay. He may not be able to fit you in by Christmas, given that no, it's that already well into November. 56 hours, he said it took to do mine. Uh, Nicky Swan says, listening live this week, getting my winter tyres uh, fitted. Uh, although, as has been pointed out there, it's still 16 degrees outside. Uh, Paul Parkin is listening whilst reading the paperwork for the Victor Meldrew of Brands. Uh, and Neil Gardner, Gardner, who we've just mentioned, is at the drawing board and working hard. We are live uh, on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Jack Shinaski says, can't tune in live. I've got a job interview to go to. Good luck, young man. Uh, and uh, everyone tuned in, including Sarah Rigby, who's got away from her clinic uh, early. I know you normally work on a, Thursday, on a Wednesday, Sarah. It's another big Wednesday night. Uh, and can we go straight to our top story, Tim? We can. Let's hear a jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, and uh, we welcome Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, because it is a sports car story that dominates uh, our programme tonight. Good evening, Graham. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Graham from the Supreme Headquarters Endurance Directive, of course, from the shed this evening. Uh, Graham, something that you and I have been uh, waiting for the announcement for for quite some time. The affable uh, and lanky Austrian Alex Wirtz uh, has retired uh, this week. As I said, we've been sitting on that for a wee while. Not sure that we expected it quite when it came out. I, I thought we might hear it at the at the next uh, round of the WEC, if I'm honest. Well, in truth, not quite retired yet, is it? Because, of course, Alex has said that he'll step down from professional driving uh, after the six hours of Bahrain, mm. which puts the lie to a rumour that he might have been linked with another factory team running Indeed. a... Uh, a GT team, a GT car, but uh, not a massive surprise. Uh, I think it's been coming for some little while, and you know, I think a little bit like uh, others that have gone before him, going at you know more or less the peak of his powers, and uh, with a brand new car and a very different car coming, uh, and you know, after well anchoring, you have to say the the Toyota effort from before the start, uh, you know, going out in a classy way. 
Um, well, don't uh, don't write off him actually doing some of the driving. I said in a tweet, uh, retired from international sports car racing. Uh, I spoke to Alex uh, earlier in the week. Uh, I think we were probably one of the, pe- the first people, if not the first people, to speak to him after the news was made public. The obvious first question was uh, uh, about his timing of his announcement and and what had made him think that now was the right idea to go so why now <laughs> uh good question just because I've, i feel it so it's not a decision i've just done overnight it uh, was building up over a certain amount of time and i think one of the key moments was uh, the lemar race last year where we were leading the race in a quite dominant way and it went up in smoke with a sensor which burned it's obviously no one's real fault but in the young days and until then I came back much stronger from such a defeat wanting to show everyone to fight back and this time I was like oh I need much longer to digest it and that already told me oops be careful maybe now it's coming to a natural end uh, the amount of time you can spend in a competitive environment. That's very interesting because throughout your career there will have been Many races that, to coin a phrase, would have got away from you. Many races you felt that you didn't win because of things outside of your control. But that one was much yeah. harder to take then, was it? Yes, much harder to take. And uh, from all the times in Le Mans, I've led and had a chance to win the race about from two times each and every time. So it's obviously a race I love, I enjoy, I give, give all for it. And um, it is a brutal and cruel race. You know it, uh, your listeners and your fans uh, know that. That's why we are doing it. That's why we love doing it. But at one point, I knew that um, will I have the energy for the next two, three years to keep doing it? And then the answer was no. So I quite early started to speak with Toyota about that. They were very cool. They respect the decision. It's a very good team. I had super time with them. Uh, like in the WEC overall, it was a great pleasure to be a sports car racer. If we go back to your early competitive career, which I'm not sure how many people realise, was on pedal bikes, BMX uh, World Championships, when you were at the tender age of 12. Your career has spanned two-wheeled pedal bikes right through to Formula One, and, and now at the very highest echelons of technology in the World Endurance Championship. That's a huge amount of cars, a huge amount of development, and a huge difference from when you first competed pedalling yourself around on that on that little two-wheel bike. I mean, can you even take all of that in over your career, Alex? No, not, not really. I had to take it in, but uh, it was a cool time. I mean, in the end of the day, since the age of 12, I was in professional sport, uh, with being a BMX world champion, going around the world uh, and racing on two wheels. Um, very competitive environment. I really loved it. Then obviously my father was a race driver. I wanted to be a race driver. I managed uh, to get there and have been now 20 years of my 40 years uh, professional, a pro in, in the likes of Formula One and the World Endurance Championship. Another quarter of my life I've spent to get there in motorsport. So that's a it's a long time. It's a very cool time, and um, I'm happy. I can now close this chapter and move on into the next part of life. Uh, 
your dad uh, was a, a champion in rallycross. I think that's about the only discipline you probably haven't done through uh, your uh, motor racing career. Uh, was was that something that you you felt you couldn't go into because of your father's association with it? <laughs> uh, that's a good one, John, because my father at the beginning of my career always said, ah, you should go into rally and rallycross uh, because I have the connections, I can help you. But then typically me, I just done the opposite and said, no, I want to be in F1. And uh, of course, he still helped and supported me and played a, a crucial part in my career and in, in my life, obviously. But um, I was always more down to perfecting the driving for the last millimeter and the last kilometer an hour to roll around the corner faster than the others. That was fascinated me, uh, the perfection of detail. But uh, if you now mention the word rallycross, of course, that's something I'm, I might just come and pop up and do one of these races because it's a very cool spot. <laughs> it's very cool. And having a renaissance uh, at the moment, for sure. Uh, this decision uh, is still fresh as far as the public and your fans and the rest of your motor racing friends and family are is concerned. Alex, have have you had time to think back on, on some highlights? Uh, thinking about, obviously, going through Formula 1, Benetton, Williams, Honda, which became Braun, uh, Williams again. Where were your highlights there, do you think? Um, actually, I never reflected back on the past and I'm always looking forward but just as you mentioned it uh, the first thing springing to my mind are the two Le Mans victories the first one as the youngest winner in 96 it seemed all so easy and only later when I won the second time after 12 years in F1 I came back to Vespergeau winning a second time then I realized how much effort people a team you as a person have to put in to win this mighty race so it makes me appreciate these moments and I can just tell you the Le Mans podium standing up there with 50,000, 60,000 people uh, coming to see the podium. They have lived through the emotions of 24 hours. This is just the most special moment in life. That's very interesting that you should say that because when I spoke to Alan McNish, he said something very similar that when he first won in 1998, it took him till the second time to really realise what he'd achieved the first time. He hadn't almost taken it all in because it, it is such a big deal. And, and yet his career, and I suppose yours to a certain extent, had been so focused on single-seaters to that point, it, it was almost either too much to take in or it was over and you had to move on to something else. Yeah, well, Alan is a wise man and now we'll go to chat with him to learn how to load the dishwasher. <laughs> Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, talking about what might come in the future, um, you had a little little dabble to try and start your own team back in 2009 uh, into Formula One. It was Team Superfund. It, it, uh, it didn't get the... Um, it didn't get the nod for the 2010 uh, season. Um, how did you feel after that? And is that still something that you might be interested in? <laughs> You're well informed. Uh, yeah, well, the team actually got the OK from the FIA, but not under the um, budget cap they announced. So I advised the team owner to not do it. Um, as you know man. me, I always have, I'm full of plans and thank God there are great opportunities out there. And there's lots of things to be done. Uh, currently, of course, I will honor in my contracts with Williams as an advisor. I'm with uh, Toyota, a great team, which I 
was really proud of working for and, and helping them win some races in the World Endurance Championship. Who knows what's coming in the future? I'm working on it, but that shouldn't be the subject of today's discussion. Uh, many people, again, probably don't know that you've been at the head of the Grand Prix Drivers Association for quite a while now. That is a post that is uh, appointed by the drivers in the Grand Prix paddock. Uh, that is... An indication, Alex, of just how well thought of you are by your peers, and um, you have you have uh, undertaken that task with honour. Uh, and uh, I don't think a lot of people understand what that entails. Is is that a highlight of what you've done as well so far? Uh, it's obviously a very interesting part. I would maybe call it highlight, especially given some of the dramas we went through in the last uh, last few months and and the and the last year um but this of course a big honor that 100% of the drivers wanted me to do that GPDA job and representing them and their interests in 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 the pinnacle of motorsport which is formula 1 and uh, equally lots of the WEC drivers when there's something to discuss and the race organizers coming to speak to me so I'm I'm proud of that because that means um, I do something right, <laughs> in a way, and I will continue to do that. And I want to give back to the sport, what the sport has given me, which is a great uh, life. So I'm a big fan of motor racing, and I want to make sure that motor racing is fit for the future. And that involves your always uh, high interest in safety, uh, including road safety outside of the sport, uh, test and training international as your company, and you advise the FIA on their road safety uh, operations as well, uh, and the FIA Young Driver uh, Excellence Academy as well. How important do you feel it is, Alex, that the sport takes the lead when we're talking about driving, road driving, and track driving are very different but not everybody understands that and is it important that our sport takes the lead on safety and influences road safety too uh, we uh, definitely um we we are in a very privileged position as racers especially the drivers to to make the people on the road understand how serious and how dangerous driving on the road is it's one of the biggest killers generally and the biggest cause of of in, in death of among the young people, and that's something really serious. And uh, if if drivers, all of us, making sure that this message is coming across, if it saves one life, two lives, hundreds or thousands of lives, that's what we have to do. And I think if racing has one of the most authentic messages, it is, of course, we are pushing it to the edge of limits, but we have developed the most safest cars and vehicles in on on any road and that's something uh, which the racing environment can be proud of it's something we are still challenged we see still accidents but we play a crucial part in safety and uh, and responsibility and sharing that with the fans and the followers of motor racing your life will take a different turn now um it's uh, is something that clearly you and Julia have thought about uh, and, and discussed. Um, it means that you look towards other things, including your sons, who have all done a bit of, of competition. How's it going to be being potentially a, a racing father uh, as we look into Alex Verter's near future? God, I just get an instant headache, John. I think <laughs> we have to stop. <laughs> uh, 
what a move. I think I can't stop my boys trying to to go into motor racing. They're all doing some very, very low-key kart racing. And I don't know really why they seem to like it. So, yeah, well, it's one of these things. Um, that's a subject um, which maybe will put the future, um, or decide the future of our family. Alex, you were kind enough a few years ago when you were driving for Porsche to become one of our first subjects for the long-form interviews here on RadioLeMond.com. It was fascinating, and I know Nick Damon had a great time talking to you. This is not the time to revisit that uh, in in retrospect. Um, you've got plenty to do uh, right now with uh, this decision just being made, made public. But let's sit down in the future. You are a true gentleman in the sport, and I speak on behalf of myself and also I know a lot of fans, our listeners and viewers around the world, when we say that you have not only given us great entertainment down the years, but you've done it in an honourable way, and you're an excellent representative of our part of the sport, and indeed motorsport in general. Alex Vert, enjoy whatever retirement brings you, and we wish you, as ever, the best of luck and safe travels wherever it takes you. Exactly. Thank you very much. Alex Vert, talking to me earlier this week... Uh, just after it had been made public that uh, he'd be stepping away from his uh, international racing career at the end of this season. Nick Damon, you were working quite closely with Alex in the pit, when you were doing your pit I, lane. I was there for his debut when uh, Gerhard Berger was ill mm. and had to step out of Burton, yeah. Um, he is generally just that nice. I mean, yeah, it could, it, it, well, that conversation it, is a perfect illustration of Alex. You Hertz. could say he was too nice and and and, and possibly too honest um, to be an F one driver in many ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. The, the fact is that the, the biggest hamper, 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 hampering, yeah, hampering he had to his F one career was his size. His height, um, yeah. Despite the claimed one hundred and seventy nine centimeters, uh, he's obviously much nearer six two, six three. Um, and it is just too big to get in, into an F1 car, especially the cars of the year he was trying to get into them. Um, suffered quite badly in the second or third year of his time at Benetton uh, on two levels. One, because he fell out with uh, Flavio Briatore and uh, Giancarlo Fisichella was a favoured child and was qualifying cars, and it was a very different time. He does talk about, actually, in that interview, you back reference, which we did, I think, in 2009, I think, in Spa. Really interesting. If you're interested in the F1 side of his career uh, and how he ended up in the, in the Peugeot programme, um, it's a very good. He, he basically, there are no good questions, only good answers, and he gives great answers. So it's a great interview. And I'm not saying that because I did it. It's just because he's a great interview subject. Yes, and I said I said Porsche in that uh, clip. There, it was indeed Peugeot, as you right. It was at Spa, wasn't it? Spa, yeah. I think I think 2009. I think it was. I've just tweeted, retweeted the link that was provided. Thank you very much to Josh Byrett, who uh, pulled that very quickly off the archive. Who, uh, it, it's worth a listen to. Uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCard.com, was listening to that as well. Uh, before we move on to an illustrious sports car career, and two Le Mans wins, of course, for Alex, uh, you've, got, you've got a bit of an F1 story about him as well. I can tell you how he got his first F1 drive, if you like, um, okay. because uh, Alex, I did a long-form interview, and it was absolute pleasure, and I think that one's actually available on the Toto Hybrid website. Um, I did a few interviews for Toto with the drivers for, uh, for our Moffat at Toto uh, for TMG, and uh, Alex told me that he got his first F1 drive, which was, of course, as Nick quite rightly says, with Benetton. Went in for a chat, had been arranged through a mutual friend or mutual contact with Flavio Briatori, who was, it has to be said, 
completely disinterested in Alex Verts and uh, gave him a dismissive question, which was, well, what's your next race then? And as it turned out, it was indeed with Team Yoast, and it was the Le Mans 24 Hours. And Do you mean there was a... uninterested or disinterested? Both. And, um, <laughs> Very good. And uh, at that point, there was a kind of mild recognition of significance, and uh, Briatore said to him, well, if you win it, um, come back and we'll give you a test. Uh, and he did, and they did. Mm. Mm. So kudos to Briatore for doing that. But, I mean, he is still the youngest winner of Le Mans. Uh, and actually something else significant, John, which is uh, up until Bahrain, we can actually say that Alex is the only current, currently active uh, driver, multiple winner of Le Mans, that hasn't won in an Audi, although, of course, he has won for Team Yoast. He didn't win Very either of his uh, Le Mans 24 wins in an Audi. And once Alex finishes at the end of the six hours of bar race, a, there will be no others. Stat. That Absolutely. is a phenomenal start, Goodwin. You've been up all <laughs> night getting that one. Uh, his two wins at Le Mans, of course, um, the, uh, the Yoast win, um, a, a number of people tweeting in and saying, you know, that actually probably paved the way for Tom Christensen because young drivers in Le Mans were not the norm in those days. And that's absolutely true. Uh, yours, to a certain expen- expe- extent, took a, a little bit of a flyer with young Alex. And, of course, he won the race. And then Tom came the following the following year. Uh, and then, of course, it, it took he went and went in Formula 1 again. It took, what was it, 12 years before he came back uh, and won again with Peugeot in a, in a car that wasn't fancied. Uh, well, quite right. I mean, I think, you know, he's, he's just a quality driver. And mm. more than that, and, you know, we've said this previously, you know, these legends that you and I, John, have, have kind of worked with through their careers and, you know, have marked the end of their careers, he's another. It's like Dindo Capello. He's like Tom Christensen. It's like Alan McNish. He's been an yep. utter pleasure to deal with at all points. Always uh, professional. As Nick, Nick nailed it. Gives great answers. Yes. Great answers to my often mediocre questions, and um, he's been quality and class throughout, and uh, whatever has, he goes on to do, he'll do it well, and we'll enjoy watching him. He still has given me the best stat ever about sports cars uh, when compared to Formula One cars. I know people, some people get a little bit hot under the collar when we do this, but the question is always asked, and I think it was the first or the second year that we were at Quarter. Toyota were only running, running one car, so Alex wasn't there. And, and bless his cotton socks, he was listening to us doing our uh, broadcast from there. And somebody asked about the G-forces in the S's there in 2, 3, 4 and 5. And he came up with the stats. He sent it through to me, um, said he was listening. And he came up with the stat there that at Le Mans, which is the circuit that, uh, that endurance cars run the least downforce um, they are still running more downforce than Formula 1 cars run at Monaco which is the place where they run the most downforce so that gave people a little bit of an idea about how much those cars are getting stuck down onto the road I suspect it's changed slightly since then because obviously the regulations have changed but you know the fact that he was able to help us out in the broadcast it was uh, it was it was very impressive Graham stay with us uh, we wish Alex the best lots uh, and lots of uh, of listeners with remembrances and uh, uh, stories and just general good wishes for Alex. And I have a suspicion that he won't be disappearing uh, from the paddock and that we will see him. And I think we'll see him doing some uh, off-road racing as well. Uh, Time now to uh, move on to, in fact, someone who was Alex's uh, teammate in that Peugeot. Let's say good evening to David Brabham. Evening, Brabs. 
John. How are you, mate? I am very well, very well indeed, and wonderful to hear your dulcet tones again. Um, <laughs> we've we've got you on to talk about Project Brabham, um, but if you don't mind, before we get into that, we've just heard Alex Verts uh, talking about him uh, walking away from top-level motorsport. Uh, Alex, a man with whom you won Le Mans for Peugeot, and uh, some impressions of Alex as a person and a competitor. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, when I saw the news, it was like, oh, God, you know, it's, uh, wow, what a career. And um, obviously, I had the pleasure of working with him uh, at Peugeot when we won Le Mans. And, you know, he always struck me as someone who was, you know, a good bloke, uh, very professional, uh, knew exactly what he needed and what he wanted from from the situation. And uh, we worked very well together with Mark Janet. Uh, to, to win Le Mans. So, um, yeah, a great, great loss to the, to the sport, but I think it's probably the, the best time for him to, to walk away at, at the top as he is. I thought it was interesting that he said that what really began to inform his decision was just how bad he felt about not winning Le Mans last year when the car was leading, that electrical problem, that his chances literally went up in smoke. Those things happen, as he rightly said, but he took a long time to get over that. He, he, he felt really bad about that, and that, that gave him the nudge, if you like, that he was closer to the end of his, of his career than the beginning. Does, does everybody, David, and you've had to make this decision about stepping back, although uh, you know, we, we haven't had the definitive word from you that you won't get in a car again, but does everybody have to find their own point in their career where they say, hmm it's X or it's Y or it's Z. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing, clearly, for everybody. No, I think it is very much um, uh, down to the individual. Uh, what, what are the sort of signs that they notice that uh, tells them, yeah, you know what, it's, it's time. Because uh, it's interesting, because I would have said that maybe it would have been the opposite, that, he, that he, the fact that he still, it hurt him so much for so long, um, uh, I would have said still means that uh, he actually wants it. Mm. I, I, it's funny how it affects people, and he's got plenty going on in his life, as as we've heard there. He's still uh, the the man at the head of the GP Drivers uh, Association. Um, what's he going to find most difficult in the early days, weeks, months of of stepping away from his from his full time driving career at the at the end of this season after Bahrain in a couple of weeks' time? Well, I think for, for most drivers, it, well, certainly the ones I've spoken to, and even although I, I haven't decided what I'm doing yet, you know, I've, I've, walked, <laughs> I've been away from the driving seat on a full time for a couple of years now. So uh, the transition is, is not easy. I think a lot will depend on how busy he is, because uh, if, he, if he kind of walked away and there was not really much for him to do and he was trying to think about, OK, what next? Uh, I think it would be even tougher. But I think the fact that he's involved in, in so much, um, it, the transition will be a lot easier for sure. Thank you for that, David. Uh, the main reason for getting you on, and, and that was uh, always going to be to talk about Project Brabham, the Alex Verts news springing up on Tuesday, uh, you knowing him so well and having been teammates, a perfect example. But tell us a little bit about Project Brabham. Down the line now, it's been... Uh, a prolific rise and rise of the first phases. Just bring us up to date as to where we are and where we're going 
with that project in the next uh, in the next stage of its development? Yeah, sure, John. Um, obviously, when when we kind of started this was just over a year ago from an idea and a concept that we launched through crowdfunding that finished, I think, on the first of November last year. So you know, pretty much twelve months has, has passed. Um, and you know, this this whole thing of what we're trying to do is is a bit of a game changer. Um, it's a disruptive model compared to what's out there. Uh, to have a, an open, transparent race team, so we provide a really unique motorsport experience and also an inspired learning environment through what we do learn through our industry, um, using a, a digital platform to attract uh, fans, drivers, and engineers from around the world. Uh, it's very, very different, and to put all that together, because that is the sort of the main business that supports the team because, as you know, walking down pit lane, if, if there's not some business that supports a race team, teams really struggle to, to make the numbers. So it's more of a sort of hand-to-mouth situation, which, you know, I didn't really want to do, having the Brabham name going back into the market uh, as a race team. So, you know, we're putting together a, a new type of business that's not been done before. So the reason it's probably taken 12 months uh, and people are probably thinking, well, you know, why aren't you out racing? Well, you know, it, it's not that easy to go and put a whole new business together like that um, and then be able to go into the market, which is where we're at right now. We're going into the financial world to raise money, and it's millions of pounds, um, right when uh, you'd have to say that the, the, the kind of negativity around Formula One yes. and teams going broke and complaining that they can't pay their bills um, has an effect. I was going to ask you about that, David, because external influences uh, are always going to play a part in motor racing, um, in any business, of course. You've mentioned the parlous state of, of Formula One at the moment. That can't help because you are you are talking to people for whom confidence and belief probably as important as as a presentation, a guaranteed return, or anything uh, on the bottom line of a of a uh, of a balance sheet. And this has that actually been brought up to you in in, in discussions with potential investors, potential supporters? Yeah, I'd say it, I'd say it has. I think um, you know the, the numbers are quite quite big when you when you're trying to raise you know money from scratch to say look and invest in this this whole project it's a it's a you know it's not just about a race team it's a digital content business in a sense so um they get the content business side but they see the numbers that it takes to to bring a race team uh from zero all the way to running in the world endurance championship you know they're big numbers so it really depends on the type of investor that you're actually talking to and the way you've pitched it to them. But I think the general consensus is that, uh, you know, in the back of their minds, certainly, you know, they, they read all the, the activity that's going on in Formula One. And, of course, that has a, has a ripple effect all the way through the whole of motorsport and uh, not just in motorsport but outside of motorsport in terms of its perception. So, you know, what we're saying is, you know, with our model, we can change that. You know, we have a more of a sustainable model moving forward uh, using today's technology and today's sort of platforms that are out there um, because the world is changing, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the digital 
uh, engagement side has skyrocketed and a traditional um, way of engaging in, in sports has, has gone down. You know, I did some research again not, not too long ago about, you know, TV audiences mm-hmm. around the world watching sports and, you know, they're in a decline. Um, you know, so the world the world is definitely changing and we've seen this and this is where what Project Brabham is about. It's about bringing a whole new way of thinking in terms of, you know, not only having a race team that's sustainable, but um, having a business in the motorsport market that um, could potentially be used with other teams or other sports in the future. So it's a big, big program, and anything like that takes time and money, and, um, you know, we, we now need money to, to, to get to the next step. Which is going motor racing and establishing a team, not just for today or tomorrow, for but for a, a decent amount of time to represent that fabulous Brabham name, uh, which has caused uh, so much interest, I think, David, from fans uh, right around right around the world. Uh, is the plan still to go? You, you mentioned the World Endurance Championship. Um, since you conceived of this program, the landscape in the World Endurance Championship, certainly in LMP2, uh, has changed or has begun mm. to change because 2017 regulations are different. Four yeah. chassis manufacturers, a single engine, at least in FIA and ELMS competition. So you've been able to adapt your plans and continue to aim for LMP2 in a World Championship? Yeah, I mean, our goal is still to do that. There's no doubt about it. Um, but obviously, when we're out and running, will all depend on when the investment comes. And um, you know, now we've kind of got closer to that world. Um, certainly, you know, we certainly learned a lot of how that world operates, and still learning. But uh, you know, I, I spoke to someone who's kind of helping us, and they said, "Oh, how long have you been looking for?" For, for investment and I said well realistically a month and this was probably about a month or so ago um, and they went ah okay and I thought well, what do you mean I said well it can take up to six months sometimes mm-hmm. even if you find an investor when once they've done all their due diligence and and so forth it, it can take a long time um, but I think a lot will depend on the type of investor you you get in bed with and we want to make sure we don't have anyone we want to make sure that they're in line with their, what we're doing. They believe in it and uh, have got the resources uh, and the sort of expertise to, to take this to the levels that it, that it certainly can get to. You've always been careful, wary perhaps even, uh, of mentioning time scales. But by the mm. same token, David, um, there are people's expectations to manage. What can you tell us going forward about you know, not necessarily written in stone or carved in stone, but what can you tell us about your plans going forward and when does Project Brabham become Team Brabham? Well, you know, that's that's not an easy answer because um, the managing of the expectations, I think, is, 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 is a difficult one because normally when someone launches something, they're kind of ready to go or yeah. there's a product that's ready to go, you can play with it and, and so forth. Yeah, what we've done is we've we've invited people in from the very concept of an idea and how, and trying to turn that into a reality. And uh, you know, of course, we we didn't see when when the latest iPhone came out with all the technology and everything and all everything the two years that it took to get to that level um, where it becomes that finished product. Um, so for us, 
you know, the mindset of people are so used to having something now, want it now, it works, boom, off you go, where <laughs> we've done, we, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, that's we're all like that. Uh, so for us, it's much more about, look, here's an idea, let's let's join the journey, let's, let's try and make this happen. And, uh, you know, we've got 3,000 plus people from 64 countries who've supported us, which is fantastic. And, um, you know, we are still pushing along, heading towards uh, bringing Brabham back. But again, it all depends about getting the money. Um, and of course, as we go down the road, we're learning more and you, you start to think, well, is there a different way of doing this? You know, maybe we need to head down this route, pitch it this way to get the ball rolling. So uh, it, it is a bit of a minefield, there's no doubt about it. But, um, you know, the, the energy is still there to, to get the, the ball rolling and get the investment and get out there and get racing, and then also have a proper sustainable model that keeps Brabham racing in, into the future without having to, you know, be on the hand-of-mouth situation. Uh, uh, we, we wish you well. Everybody does. And uh, thank you for coming on and, and bringing us up to date. Just before I let you go, uh, just a, a word uh, about the about the family. Samuel Brabham, as I saw on a recent uh, Mission Impossible film credit uh, yeah. as one of the uh, the stunt team on uh, Rogue Nation. Uh, well done for him for, for doing that. How, how's Sam getting along? He... he he uh, he got a little bit of a setback, didn't he? Because he was meant to be on that uh, that road to Le Mans, um, the road to the twenty four that that kind of didn't even get started. Never mind, didn't finish. But his motor racing career still still progressing. Yeah, he um, well as you, as you know, John. I mean, my whole focus has been on Project Brabham. Every bit of time, every bit of money, every resource has gone into this. And um, you know, unfortunately, you've got to make sacrifices. And Sam's career has has had to to be put on hold so um uh, moving forward yeah we thought there may be an opportunity he was actually invited to be on that race to 24 uh so we thought well why not um and then of course that didn't happen and then he entered the Porsche scholarship uh program to do Carrera Cup next year which is which is where we want to take him or where he wants to go as well ah. And uh, he got through to the final four, but uh, didn't didn't get through. Um, so that that was obviously a bit of a disappointment again for him. But you know he's a fighter, and uh, we're looking at uh, doing some interesting things with him to raise that money as we speak, because uh, I think you do have to think outside the box a little bit in today's market. Uh, we wish him well in that. Uh, another insanely talented member of the Brabham family. It seems that you've uh, all got more than one skill. I know that uh, Sam is uh, a very good cricketer and, and soccer player, footballer uh, as well. David, thanks for your time. Um, give our best to the, the rest of the family and to Lisa and uh, feel free to come on and keep us up to date anytime you've got news for us, please. Yeah, thanks, John, and thanks for the support, and also thanks to the support to the fans out there listening who've who've got behind us as well. It really means a lot. Cheers, David. Thank you. Well, Graham Goodwin is still with us, the editor of DailySportsCar.com. Uh, a bit more sports car news, uh, starting with news from Roll Centre Racing, Graham. Fabulous news from Roll Centre Racing. Uh, Martin Short is back uh, in the British GT Championship. Yes, 2016. That's going to be good news for race organisers, eh, guys? Uh, but uh, Shorty... No, <laughs> Stop it. Surely they could have said, oh, no, 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 our grids are full already. We don't, we don't want to... <laughs> 
I no, did like dearly shorts car today I mean, with no, all no, of the bits and pieces. I have to tell you, the, the story behind that is that was a, an insult thrown at us in the very early days of DSC because there were so many news items about uh, Mr. Short and Co. But the reality is that he always had a good story. And uh, this, I think I'm right in saying, this is the first time that Shorty has actually fielded a fully kind of homologated car. He's always gone his own way. You know, it's always, you know, we started with the self-built TVR Cerbera back in 2000. The first, by the way, the first car ever in what is now GTE um, to win a race that wasn't a Porsche. Uh, oh, was wow. Martin Short and the team. But uh, no, he'll be back with his co-driver Richard Neary in an ex uh, Barwell uh, BMW Z4 GT3. Uh, very sonorous car indeed. And it is great to have him back. Absolutely great to have him back. And talking about things coming back, it looks likely that we'll get full speed back on the Nordschleife for VLN and the 24 hours of the Nürburgring in 2016. Uh, it does, and you know, uh, kudos to amongst others Johannes Gauglika and uh, some of the kind of the uh, participants and fan sites for uh, explaining the ins and outs here. The seven-point plan, mainly to do with uh, new fencing that needs to be put in. The FIA, I gather, have approved the plan. Uh, there will need to be a final circuit inspection. It also means a little bit of track work to take out some of the bumps, which means a couple of places where the cars won't be getting air as much as they previously did. I think. Uh, my view on this one is very simple, guys, which is, what do we want? Do we want racing on the Nordschleife or not? If this is the cost yes. of getting it, then I'm afraid, you know, uh, the purists, I'm afraid this is going to have to be a price worth paying. Uh, a few news items from Asian Le Mans series as well, which uh, continues to make the headlines. The they did? They did. They did. And, uh, you know, uh, first thing to say about this, when we said, John, after Fuji, um, that there was a difference between those that count numbers and those that count uh, the signs in the background. The Asian Le Mans series promised there's, there'd be 16 or 17 cars. There were 16 cars for uh, this race, three up on the first round with an additional LMP2 car from the Alcar Pro team from the LMS. Um, and I think this is looking pretty encouraging moving forward. Uh, they do need a bit more depth. They're getting that depth, but it's a happy paddock. Uh, the, uh, the, the race, again, going to the race performance team, uh, refugees, if you like, or migrants, if you like, from the European Le Mans series of late. Uh, but I think that's up in the ante. I think that's a good thing. And uh, there are more to come when we get into January and the second two, uh, second two races of the 2015-16 season. We've also already got a calendar for next year. Now, that's been a bee in my bonnet for an awfully long time, John, is race series coming too late <laughs> calendars. They've not done that here. Uh, we've got a stable calendar, we hope, for the 2015, sorry, 2016-17 series already announced. I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and I've got to say that we've been starting to put calendars together and looking at clashing dates. And whilst there are some, there are far fewer than I expected. Uh, so people have been a little more sensible this year. Uh, just after quarter to nine here in the UK, Midweek Motorsport live uh, on RadioLeMond.com. Two big stories already tonight. Uh, Project Brabham coming along nicely and Alex Verts stepping away from top-line motor racing at the end of this season. Series 10, episode 45. We've got uh, Graham Goodwin on the line. Tim, before we let him go, have you got another couple of bits and pieces for A couple him? of forward-thinking forward-looking things. Uh, this weekend, the final round of Super GT. Oh, right. Absolutely. And a fascinating season. Covered live here. 
Uh, still live, brilliant, wonderful. I, I might have to yes. listen to that because I think and I've got to get it Underwatch off. also this weekend. Uh, there is a six-hour race. There's a six-hour uh, race. Seventeen entries across seven classes. <laughs> right. Go on. <laughs> it's the uh, six hours of Valalunga. Oh, is it this weekend? Oh, yes. Fabulous. Uh, you, what used to be the Gold Cup and the Silver Cup. It still is Gold, Silver and Bronze Cups. Um, but uh, if we split them up into different cups, then it sounds like there's even fewer entries. Isn't, isn't that Super Mario Kart? No, t- typically, the gold, cup, the gold Cup, the the gold cup, cup is a GT3 race. And and it is, cup. It the is Silver a, Cup is a touring cars. The Gold Cup is uh, a valid GT3 race because of the presence of two cars from AF Corsa. Really? Uh, That's one unusual. Of, one of which <laughs> features uh, Jack Gerber, Marco Ciocci and Matt Griffin. Uh, and the it's other becoming that if it's not Matt Griffin now in the Ferrari in a race, it's not a real race because Matt well, has oddly, become ubiquitous. Well, oddly, oddly enough, I've actually just finished writing a story that involved Matt Griffin and a GT3 Ferrari in Malaysia. So you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it's getting ridiculous now, Matt. Come on. Uh, Give someone else a chance. The features Michele Rugolo, Giancarlo Fisichella and Motowaki Ishikawa. Uh, wow. So five GT3 cars in the Gold Cup section. Uh, the Silver Cup, which is split up into uh, 24-hour specials, Lotus Cup, V8 Superstar, and Megan V6 Trophy uh, subclasses, um, has uh, five entries across those. Uh, only one is w- doing the full six hours because the Lotus Cup, V8 Superstar, and Megan Trophy V6 cars uh, just do three hours of racing and the bronze cup of course is for cn2 cars okay uh, so bronze cup, I, oh, brilliant I, I never knew they had a bronze cup it will have a court i mean it, what i can tell you is that with if of course to win it that will be five wins out of the last six and uh giancarlo fisichella by the way is on a uh, on a double if he wins mm. it uh, so that's this and, weekend, uh, and uh, yep. both of those uh, you can watch live, uh, but only one of them live on RadioLeMond.com. And that is, are we going to have the pictures as well embedded on RadioLeMond this weekend yes, from Super, on the GT? Super GT page? Excellent. Excellent. And it will be uh, Johnny Palmer and Sam Collins of Race Car Engineering who take you through the final uh, one. Grim, thanks very much for being with us, and. Uh, Speak to you. Say that, and almost it sounds like you believe it. Um, <laughs> we'll speak to you next week. Have a good weekend. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com. Uh, tomorrow night, by the way, 8 o'clock, it's uh, the November issue of the Toro Radio Show. Uh, Matt Hunter in the chair tomorrow with uh, a whole host of special guests and interviews. I know that they're looking at... Uh, uh, Louis Sattley's got another car test as well, and uh, I've been letting on the secret. It's an absolute perler. The engine note is phenomenal. Uh, worth listening to. Uh, whether or not you're really into your games, there's a, an awful lot of information coming through there. It's the Tora Radio Show. Their Touring Car Championship, in fact, uh, kicked off this week, so I'm sure they'll be talking about that. Uh, Matt Hunter and the rest of the team, 8 o'clock tomorrow night, live here on Radio Le Mans. Hashtag TRS. Uh, Nick Damon, we my... have a new British world champion. We do. We do. And the first one for how many years? 38 years. Well, in <laughs> no, this particular no, 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 class. No, 37 years. I thought it was 38. It was 1978. 
So let, let's not quibble about a year in nearly forty. It's it really not the that last winner was seven. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, what we're talking about is two wheels. We're talking about a massive set of congratulations uh, to Danny, Danny Kent. Kent. Danny, great surname. Uh, yeah, Danny Kent, who, um, whose career was stalled, but he went up to Moto2, um, had a bad season there, and then dropped back down to Moto3. So it was Moto3 about 50 horsepower, Moto2 about 125 horsepower. Um, and... But basically won the Battle of the Hornets as they buzz around the track in a group of normally 77 to 90 bikes. For those of a certain age like me, this effectively is, what, one, two, five? One, two, five racing, racing yeah. yeah. Yeah, without, without the little, with, less, with less really tiny Japanese people. Right. Fewer. No. No, they're, they're actually less, less of them, them as well. As as uh, <laughs> I, I've never realised this, well, this show has become Pedant's Corner recently on a couple no, of things. No, we just like to have English correctly spoken. I actually spent some of my own time last week looking up the dictionary definition of the difference between envy and jealousy, by the and way. And now do you understand? I do now, yes. yes absolutely. Yes. And Your sexual component to I, envy. I, um, I heard Alex Brundle using correctly on Formula E at the weekend. Yes, he's learning. We're really? teaching him. Yes. He's been told off many, many a time by but Eve. Yeah, going, going back to that, congrats to Danny Kent. The big question is, though, will it help him get a better ride yes, next he's, year? He's in Moto2 already. He's, he's gone up to the, the, the next level. Um, or back to. Or back to, two. yes. I mean, I think it's a, yeah, he's, it's a weird thing. The, the, the interesting thing is, you know, and it may touch slightly on the, the main story, in that you have a completely different demographic makeup of the people in the um, the paddock of the motos, be it MotoGP, Moto2, or Moto3, than you do from the superbike world, which is much more dominated by native English speakers, let's say, be they Australians, Brits, Americans. That's a very good point. Um, I hadn't thought of that. But, you know, so you need to be ingrained into that paddock, which Danny's done, to, to move up. You look at Scott Redding, who, who's come up through the ranks as well. Uh, the Brits are in and that. Bradley have actually, Smith. Uh, yes, have, have embraced that from the age of about 15 and been on that point. tour. It's point. almost a bit like the old days of the WWF and the WCN, the two wrestling uh, groups. They were, they, were, they were the same thing, but you never had any crossover. Yeah. There was no crossover. You know, that, that Super was, Mario and wrestling tonight. Well, I know, but, it, but it's, it's, it's a strange thing. But yeah, so when you get to the very top of uh, the MotoGP paddock, what do you find nationality-wise? Mostly Spaniards. Yes. Um, and that has obviously caused a lot of problems. Who runs MotoGP? Uh, Dorna. Yes. Who are, are the Spanish? Where are the four Grand Prix? So. Yes. Uh, let's go to Twitter before we move on. Uh, Pete Newton, listening live tonight, has just sent us a video to show us where he's uh, parked up listening. Thank you very much. Maths exam for Ale Filipponi in New Choisy. So he will lose out the second part of the show. Uh, Ted the Toyman uh, agrees, uh, says basically Moto 3 is a four stroke version of 125. And good evening to Matt Griffin. Uh, he says, I agree. It's not a race that if I'm not in it just landed from, two, from Dubai after two days testing on Roop Dublin to, to Cork and enjoying the show Mark we miss you uh, here in Thrapston um, pop round anytime you can it would be great uh, to have a chat and a catch up MotoGP at the weekend yes. uh, it was other than the first six laps the most boring race of the season 
Uh, it was a desperate anticlimax. Yes. Well, um, it, was, it was exactly what everybody expected. Well, Valentino Rossi starting one from last, actually, because Carl Crutchlow had a, had a problem with changed bikes. Uh, made up... Carl from the field in seven or eight laps to four. Six laps. Six um, laps he was in four. But by then he was 11 seconds back and didn't have... And the, he never got any closer. Whether he didn't have the pace or didn't have the heart to, to the actually tires. stay with the top three. Lorenzo got out in front and, oddly, wasn't ever challenged. And only, I, and only, I have an and issue. And only the one time he might have been challenged by... Um, Danny Pedroza. By Pedroza. Who um, actually rode a pretty decent race. Mark Marquez seemed to get very unhappy that Pedroza would try and go overtake him, but wasn't it slightly interesting trying to overtake Lorenzo? Huh, wonder why. The, 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 the British commentators, and I love Keith Hewan and Julian Ryder, and they are massively uh, well-informed and uh, ingrained <sighs> in the paddock. Yeah. Seemed to be missing out to me on the fact that Marquez never ever put any pressure whatsoever there is on the leader. a problem and I read a really good article written by Matt Oxley today as well mm. from Motorsport magazine there is a massive problem mm. I like Max right? when He's you are good. in the paddock and I've been in that position in F1 when yep. you're in the bubble it's very hard to sometimes make statements which you know are going to have repercussions so there's a huge amount of yep. fence sitting going on well, there was no fence sitting from Keith about who he wanted to win the championship. No, he, but he's a, they, he's a massive but value there's fence sitting when they come to actually apportioning blame, espousing concepts, right. you know, because you don't want, you know, you have to work with these people the following day, you know, and more importantly, they know that they have to maintain good relationships with all the riders involved because they are their bread and butter. <laughs> Um, right Turn Lover said the top four of MotoGP in Valencia were three competitors and a participant. He's not wrong there. I like that. Um, Very good. And I think, you know, I would disagree with that. So I'd say two competitors and two participants. Mm, well, uh, do you know what? I thought Pedroza rode a pretty decent race. He yes. held his tyres. He was one of the, the competitors. They came back. That was fine. Lorenzo. I mean, let's get me. Oh, Lorenzo let me, let me, was let me, metronomically. Let me throw something out here. Well, hang now. on. Let me just. I say. do not begrudge. Jorge Lorenz the world championship. He, he won most a, races this he year. He is a deserving he world won, champion. He won most races this year. He was metronomically brilliant and at the weekend. interestingly, in 50 years' time... But he time, never slowed down. In 50 years' time, there will be no asterisks in the record book. No, no, I agree. The other thing is... I don't believe him about for, his rate tyre, though. The other thing is, though, for the, for the people who saw that and followed the sport, there will be repercussions. Because I'm sorry... That if you take off the blinkers and and the blinkers, whatever Valley did, fine. Lorenzo is, is a worthy champion. Marquez has re- made himself a laughing stock. I think he's made himself a pariah to any potential team who wants to take him on. He's not. He's, he's not going to endear himself at Honda because yes, it's Honda versus Yamaha. But I'll tell you now, Honda wanted that victory at the weekend, and. You know, Honda are whatever anybody else thinks. They're still that is a, that is a, a program that is run from Japan, and the Japanese go about their motorsport in a very honourable way. In a, in a, in a more, and I don't think he's done himself in, any well, favours. In Honda. a more important part, this sounds really kind of dramatic. But if you look at the fact when um, post race, uh, do you see Lorenzo's celebration? He pulled up the other side, they had a little thing, and they got four of his mates to dress up until he had the five leathers yep. in one world championship. Unit. And it was like doing a massive thing, for, and everyone was sitting there going, I don't care. And no, everyone thought, oh, he's being pretentious. You know, if Rossi's done the same thing, the whole world would have been with him on the tide of charisma. 
MotoGP, uh, Mark Marquez, with his smiling face and aggressive riding style, was on the way to becoming, you know, very universally popular in a sport that needs to have this ability to reach outside its natural constituency with personalities. It's much easier to be a personality on a bike than it is in a car because everyone can see all your movements. Everyone themselves thinks, my God, I couldn't do that. So you're already a bit you know, crazy. Um, but I think that what's happened here is, is Mark Marquez will have lost the public mm. and he'll never get it back, much as Schumacher never got the public back after 94. Um, you'll never get the public back and while she'll be very successful, the problem really at that point is, is can MotoGP stand what is almost certainly going to be the loss of Rossi at the end of next season with Without no popular personalities? Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, a number of people saying uh, we're not knocking Lorenzo at all. He won the most races this year. He led from the front. This is not about Lorenzo. He's uh, this a world the, champion. Well done. Uh, yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, Nicky Hayden's gone, of course. No Americans in MotoGP. Says RJ on Connell since when? 75? Wow. That's that, that, that is a great start. Apparently the German commentators were um, very much uh, less sitting on the fence uh, mm. in terms of, uh, of Marquez. I thought Marquez was... Um, I thought Marquez was riding for effect for a lot of the time. He was kicking the bike sideways. He was spinning up the rear wheel. Um, Lorenzo, what, you know, whatever the front tyre or the rear tyre uh, on the Yamaha was doing, was I mean, he was doing the 107 ones as if he just oh, hit I mean, a, a I, cruise I control. Don't have any. And he's think... very good. One thing I would say about Lorenzo, whatever else he's you think good. about him, he's very good at looking. Within himself, yeah, and I think yeah, he, he won he seven was races. Brilliant. Apparently, the seven races he all won from lights to flag. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, whenever the race had inclement weather, he didn't do so well. No, um, and that was where uh, Rossi and others were able to shine. But you know, I think we probably had the right world champion just in the wrong way. Let's uh, very quickly uh, move from two wheels. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, already started 2016. More to 2016 has started. They were testing Michelin tyres. Big change. Massive tire, change. Tire change on the motorcycle is the biggest thing you can change. It's not just it was covered levels live. of grip. I it's, watched quite a bit of it on Monday. handle completely differently. And yeah. They've got to dial them right into the different differences and the, even the profile of the tyres. Very interesting that everybody started off on their 15 bikes with the 16 tyres before they put the 16 mm. tyres yeah, on the, the 16 line, bike. Exactly, exactly right. Uh, that will come up uh, to uh, to speed in the next couple of months. Um, let's quickly go to Formula One. Mm -hmm. um, let's we'll, we'll leave Corta until we get Marshall on later on. But um, uh, engines, yes, the engine debate continues. Yes. Ferrari, Red Bull, Renault. Yes. What the heck's going on? Well, it's quite interesting actually because obviously um, uh, TJ13 managed to scoop, sort of scoop everybody by doing the thing I love most of all. And something that my, I always believe is the best way, if you, you, you put six or seven facts you know, add in some, some guesswork, and you come up with a really plausible theory. And what he did was actually put together a really plausible theory, which in the end had some of the people in the paddock going, yeah, yeah, that might happen, we hadn't thought of it. Interestingly, if you take the core points, and I'm going, the core points are, point one, Renault has not bought Lotus, despite what everyone's saying. Mm. Core point two is that, that it's likely now that Red Bull are going to do some sort of badge engineering of a Renault. We don't know the precise... It seems like the only thing they can do is badge engineer a Renault because Renault has nothing to do with them. Yeah? Do you remember what I said a long time ago mm. about Renault taking a year out? Mm. If Red Bull badge engineer their engine, that ain't a Renault engine. Yes. So they get all and the new talk. Lotus, it, it said today, uh, so yesterday, they said they have not given up their Mercedes contract for next year. No. So Lotus 
could still run the Mercedes. He'd still have a, they have a totally valid contract with Mercedes for next year. Mercedes have assumed they don't want it, but they haven't. They said they, they still have the option on it. If Red Bull took up the Renault engine and called it a bullet, or whatever it may be called, it doesn't matter. It would no longer be the Red Bull engine. Red Bull can go, Renault can go away. Develop well, they could call it a Red Bull engine. They can do it. Like, but the point is, it's not the Renault engine. So Renault can go away and develop their own brand new engine for 2017. Mm, very interesting. lots of cash as well. Because Red Bull, whatever, what's basically happened is Red Bull's months of bitching is costing them some fortune. Uh, Tim Greer is up in London. Before we move away from uh, engines, uh, mm-hmm. did you see the story that Ferrari uh, said that they'd, they'd be willing to supply Red Bull with uh, engines, last just not the engine, same yes. uh, engines? Last year's engine bits, yeah. They, they, they've been, they didn't say last year's engines, they well, said a different engine. Yes, they've kind of gone stirry, really, because when they've, 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 they've effectively had a lot of negative pub- Nicky publicity after the veto and everything through FI, and they said, "Right, well, yeah, we'll offer you something. Might not be any good, but we'll offer you something." So, we'll, if, we'll if, offer you a Lancia engine. Well, I think what it really is is because Red Bull are threatened to quit. Ferrari don't want to get covered with the blame for that. So they go, "No, no, we, we offered them an engine. We offered them one. You know, Ferrari's it was from the, the nineteen seventy-two Lancia, which is aren't they?" No, because they they the, the fallout will, will will cover everyone. In, in, in everyone will try and throw blame around, and and they obviously they have more PR to protect, especially as they're launching themselves on the stock market. And they so they're just kind of going. It was a very nice, it's a clever way of it. It's not our fault, and we have tried to help out, but actually not do anything. No, would have been enough there. Uh, we're going to have a Dutch Grand Prix back at Zandvoort. No, we're not. No, we're can't not. Accept, they can't accept the You're track. It's too, it's too noisy. There's not enough infrastructure, so it's not happening. But they have got a Dutch Grand Prix driver now, so why not have a Dutch Grand Prix? It's just after nine o'clock. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. I do like this. I think this is possibly my favourite still to come jingle. In a packed second half of the programme, two more guests and another contributor to fit in. Uh, and they are all US-based. Uh, Mark Miller and Brian Sellers on the show in the second half uh, of tonight's programme. We'll take more, if you don't mind, of uh, your thoughts on Artspectatainment. That's on Twitter. Uh, and uh, we will have a bit of Formula One news with Nick, who's staying with us as well. If you missed the first part of the show, don't worry. If you're just joining us now, there'll be time for you to uh, to listen to it tomorrow or whenever, because Tim will be working so quickly to get this up uh, on a podcast as soon as humanly possible tonight. Second half of the show, about to start. Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And Tim, you're going to start the second half of this show with a bit of a an editorial, or an is editorial. it just a Haven-esque rant? Oh, great. When I was writing uh, the script for tonight... <laughs> There's a script? Oh. Always. Um, the, uh, I, I started a sentence with the line, as the crow flies, and I'm thinking, what a ridiculous expression that is. Have you ever observed a crow in flight? Well, normally it goes from one piece of carrion to the next. It's not. It's not. They don't fly as the crow lines, flies. No. Crows um, flying low distances follow topographical features like rivers and roads and hedgerows to give them reference points so they know where they are. They don't just fly direct from point A to point B. Right. Um, Keep going. So it's a really stupid expression. This is an ornithological rant. But as I was saying, so. As the idiomatic crow flies, <laughs> God, yeah, okay. it is 700 kilometres from Le Mans mm. to the Nürburgring. Yes, okay. 
I would agree. Yes. Well, I'm surprised. Well, surprised as that, but keep going, yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly halfway uh, along that 700-kilometre line mm-hmm. is a place called Leon. Leon, yes. Leon C. Well, Leon, as in the big, t- big town, Leon. Yes. No, as in Leon, uh, which is probably oh. Leon. Uh, L A O N. Yes, L A O N. Just off the A4. Yeah. <laughs> what, near, near Swindon? Yes, that's right, near Swindon. <laughs> Leon C. I keep telling you. Carry on. Uh, and there used to be an airfield there. Oh, this which is. Which uh, turned into a military airbase. Yes. And then abandoned in 2012. Right, is this what um, Jonathan Palmer's going to do? It is what Jonathan Palmer's going to do. Not our Jonathan ah. building Palmer, Dr. Jonathan Autodrome. Palmer. He's, yes, he's building, he's building Bedford a new racetrack. No, he's building Bedford Autodrome in France. He's building another racetrack. This one, unlike Bedford Autodrome, will host races. Yeah, for a year. Yes. It was originally a grass civil aerodrome in, uh, before World War Two. It was and only then built the in 1938, so it wasn't uh, for much before World War Two. The Luftwaffe developed the aerodrome into a military airfield, yes. uh, as well as using it as a mi- when it, when it, supply When it was depot. no longer part of France, briefly. Mm. And then it, um, in, in 1944, it was used as a fighter and bomber base by the United States Army Air Force. Oh, but it was used as a dispersal operating base uh, for units in France, uh, but uh, the base was never used and was abandoned in 1967. Yes, and then the French moved in in 1980. Right. And uh, left in 2012. Right, okay. okay so so, this, so, is, so this is part of uh, Jonathan Palmer's European expansion, uh, which is something that he's been planning for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally ha- has found a site on which to build a new racetrack. And, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading that the NATO runway, dispersals and taxiway remain in place, but they are... Badly deteriorated after 40 years of abandonment. Uh, currently, it's being used for agriculture. The, 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 the runways, saw, right. the runways from the aerial photos uh, are still very clearly runways. The mm. perimeter road is overgrown a little. But what are the toilets like? Because he's very good at sorting toilets out. Lavatories. I I would not uh, have any hesitation on landing my aircraft there if I needed to right now. I'm not sure. I'd like to have a look first. I think I'd like to have a a look. Um, On the Twitter, uh, a lot of people picking up on changing uh, engine names. Uh, We have had... So basically, Daniel says, could you just turn up with a new, in inverted commas, every year? So a Renault, then a Nissan, then an Infiniti, uh, a Dacia... That would get you four years. If you've got yes, a you huge could do that. I suggested this a couple of years ago when, uh, when Miles these rules first came out. Miles yeah. Cook adds Red Bull, Mechachrome, Player Life, yes. dot, 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 dot. Yeah. I mean, it, it Tag. Is, it could be anything. Yeah, you yes. could do anything you want. But you, it seems as you're right. You can just Miggins turn up, pies. start again. But the start-up costs if you, it, it are ridiculous unless you've made a horrible mistake like someone may have done. Mm. Uh, you're listening to Midweek. Sport coming up to ten oh, minutes. What happened to you there? Uh, what? What do you mean? What happened to me you there? Went, you went very, very quiet and then recovered. Very uh, kind of butch. Uh, um, um, okay. Uh, am I okay now? You're fine now. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
Uh, I've lost my train of thought now. Oh, yes, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it's just on 10 past 9 in the UK. And uh, it's Nick Damon, John Hindorf, and show, John. Tim Gray is up in London. Still to come this hour, we'll have Marshall Pruitt, yes. but we'll head to the States Not right now. Yet. Really? No, because uh, next on my uh, running order is a uh, brief mention of V8 Supercar. No time for that. Um, Go on then, very quickly. Jamie Wincup's not going to win it this year. Is he not? He's not going to win the cup then? No. Yeah. Uh, Looks to me like it's going to be... uh, um, uh, Now, who did I see? I should have written this down. Um, Winterbottom. What's his first name? Frosty. 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 That's from Frosty Winterbottom. Frosty, but that's not his actual first name, is it? No. That was a great mention of V8 Supercars there, Tim. Fantastic. Well done. Well, yeah, well, yeah. well researched. Yeah, keep, keep that up. Let's have more mentions like that. Of, of, I'm, I'm trying of, to find the jingle for the next <laughs> thing, but I can't find I'll it. I'll sing it for you. <laughs> what is the next bit? Okay, shall we just move on? You move on. We'll skip the next bit and go on to the bit after that. Okay, so, well, the, the, <laughs> question, the question is, uh, is the technology holding up for us to get our next guest on the phone? Hopefully, yes. uh, I will be able to say good evening uh, to Brian Sellers. Hello, Brian. Good evening, John. How are you? I'm very well, very well indeed. And straight away, we've got to say a hearty congratulations. Uh, you are an employed driver for 2000. And 16. Tell us about the program and tell us about how this has come together. Uh, thank you. First of all, I appreciate it. Uh, the program this year will be with Paul Miller Racing, and it will be with Bryce Miller in the endurance races, and Madison Snow is my uh, full-time co-driver in all the other races. And it will be in the new Lambo GT3 car. So it's uh, it's quite a different program from everything I've, I've been used to, something that, you know, been in Porsches for the past uh, seven years and in a tire development program, but I'm excited to kind of get down and dirty with something new and, and uh, a new program, new group of guys and see where we can take this thing. A very different role, I would think, um, as well, in that Madison Snow is a very accomplished driver, hasn't got an awful lot of endurance experience, and hasn't got an awful, well, actually has got an awful lot of experience, but still is a very young driver. So a different dynamic from you and, and Wolf Hensler in the Falcon program with Derek Walker that you've, that you've been involved in for such a long time. It, it will certainly be a different dynamic. Um, and I think... Probably not not in the ways everybody is expecting. I, I don't expect to go in and, and teach Madison anything. I hope what we can do is go in and learn, and he can learn from some of the experience I have in the races and, and that he can um, learn about some things we've done along the way that have or have not worked. And, and I think part of a good partnership is not being too closed-minded and knowing that you always have something to learn. So my perspective as well, and I hope that – we can go into this knowing that uh, if we take a step back and, and, and try and do this thing together, that we'll be much better off than doing it alone. And I think that at the end of the day, that's, that's what a good pairing is all about. In some ways, however, something that you are used to is development work. And this Lamborghini, I accept it's a GT3 car, so it's going into GT Daytona in the WeatherTech Championship next year. But it's a very new car. It's at the start 
of its life as a racing car, which means there will be things to find out about it, and you're only going to find that out by testing it and racing it. I think that's that's exactly right, and I I think one of the biggest differences will truly be the car in I'll call it IMSA spec versus what it would be in say normal GT3 spec. And while it may be the same arrow, it's obviously a much different tire than the car was developed on. It'd be a much different uh, power uh, kind of package than than it's used to having in gear ratios. So I think it'd be kind of learning to maximize all those things. I suspect the car will run extremely different spring packages, uh, maybe even, you know, some work with roll centers and that kind of thing to, to make it a little bit better on the continental. And, you know, one of the difficulties will come this year is uh, I know you saw the testing ban um, and how many days you actually have in GTD. So it's going to be all about uh, making the most of those days when you do have them. Yes, and that's something that you are uh, quite experienced at. Uh, The team, it's a voyage of discovery for for the team as well. They've been with uh, Audi for quite a long time. Now, that's not the worst thing because the underpinnings of this car are not dissimilar uh, and some, I think you'll probably find that there's an Audi badge or two on one of the bits, of, uh, one or two of the bits and pieces. But this effectively is the new car. It's the new Audi platform, not the, the one that the team have used uh, in, in the past. So this discovery, this voyage of discovery, as I described it, is basically going to be everybody starting from scratch. You, the team, everybody else who's got the Lamborghini, and it seems to have been a popular choice for 2016. Yeah, I, it has certainly been a popular choice. I think you can see anywhere from probably three to five cars, depending on whether it's the NAEC races or the full-time. And, I mean, I think obviously there's a there's a lot of upsides to the car. It, it uh, Like you said, it has the Audi underbody, which has been successful this year. Um, you know, you've, I've heard a lot of people touting the Audi as the, the best GT3 car built. So obviously we're starting from a good place. Um, and I think some of the difficulty actually with having that many cars will be trying to balance the BOP, um, you know, trying to make sure that, uh, it's not Lambos necessarily racing Lambos all the time. I mean, you hate to say that that's part of the game, but certainly it is part of the game. Um, so we, you know, we kind of won't know until things get going where it's going to be, but I suspect it will be a strong car. And have the team got the cars, Brian? Because the testing starts relatively uh, shortly in terms of the pre-season test. We've got the raw before, of course, in the early part of of 2016. But really, the sooner the better for the team to start to get used to their their new weapons. What do we know about delivery times and when the cars will be on the track? Well, you're right. It, it is. It everything does happen fast and you know, everything down to just getting fitted to the car, getting the ergonomics correct. Because when you go to the roar, you want to have everything taken care of. You don't want to be fitting. You don't want to be adjusting that kind of thing. So uh, there certainly is a huge premium on that. Unfortunately, I don't think we get our car till kind of the first week of December, uh, give or take a few days either direction, which in the grand scheme of things, I guess is still okay it's just not a lot of time i mean it's not like in the past where we've had the falcon car and you never stop testing you just continue Mm -hmm. to to roll forward um so it really tightens up the timeline a lot makes uh i think it makes 
you know, our team manager's job, Mitchell Simmons, a little bit more difficult, making sure everything is laid out uh, properly because there is no time to waste in the situation. The competition in GT Daytona over the last couple of years has been epic. It's not going to be any less so in 2016. And in fact, with no disrespect to teams that have raced there in the past, there's probably more better, more and better prepared teams than we've ever seen before in GT Daytona in, in any of its previous iterations, whatever it was called, either through Grandam or in certainly GTC in the, in the pure IMSA days. It's going to be a tough ask for any team to get uh, a, a jump on the championship, but early season results are always going to be good news, aren't they? Yeah, and I think you're right. It's And for me, it's kind of natural progression. That's the way things work when it was first GTC or, as you said, Grand Am GT. Uh, the, the budgets were significantly lower now. Budgets increase. Results are expected. The teams expand. The quality of the programs gets better. The the more drivers they bring in, and I think for me, when you're up on the stand and you get the opportunity to watch the race, whether you're out of a spin or it's not your turn to qualify or whatever the situation may be, that GTD probably didn't get as much credit as it was due. Not not from you guys, but but in in general because it's not as visible as maybe what sure. prototype racing is but when you look at it all the qualifying sessions were mega the races all came down to the very end and, and it was never just one car that was completely dominant it was a lot of people racing and a lot of teams a lot of swapping back and forth and pit stops um so i think it will be extremely competitive and like you said i mean by by the middle of the season, when everyone starts to hit their plateau, it gets that much more difficult. <laughs> so if you can hit the ground running and um, be ready to, to strike early and get results when maybe not everybody has their footing right, then that helps to carry you towards the end of season with the points advantage. One, I'm confident that one of the big steps forward for GT Daytona, for, if you will, the, the second of the GT classes, um, whatever, again, whatever it's been called in the past, is the uh, the uh, authorities in the state, IMSA, um, uh, for the WeatherTech Championship, uh, uh, moving to a full FIA GT3 specification car. There's plenty of them out there. I think there's 14 or 15 different manufacturers and makes. Uh, the variety, the potential variety is there. It does offer some challenges for drivers, though. How long is it since you've driven a race car that's got ABS? Uh, it's been a while. I mean, certainly a car with proper ABS, I can't even remember the last time it's been so long. So people just assume, and I think it's important to kind of set the record straight, that just because you have ABS, that it becomes an easy race car to drive. <laughs> and it's... <laughs> It's certainly not the case. I mean, people think, oh, you have ABS, you have traction control. It takes a lot of the, a lot of the drivers kind of need to function out of that. But what it does is it makes what you do that much more important. It Correct. is certainly harder to get an advantage over somebody. But just because you have ABS and you know you need to break 50 meters from the turn-in point, it just doesn't give you a, you know, a boatload more confidence to say, oh, fine, I have ABS, I, I can still do it. It's no, you not, don't get a free practice. It's pra- never the issue. 
correct. You don't get a free pass. You've still got to ring yeah. the last half a tenth out out of the time. And and you're talking about very fine margins here, Brian. And that's where you professional drivers operate on the very very last two, three, four percent, if that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think I think certainly the positives though to the GT3 spec cars is I think it, the drivability for for all ranges of drivers will be better. The margin for error is a bit higher in terms of, you know, the ABS and flat spotting and on tra- on power traction spins and some of those things will be diminished some, but I think like I said it is important for people to realize that the cars just are not easy to drive. If if you look at it now, the the GT3 spec cars in a, in a lot of situations have um, more downforce than the GTLM cars and the RSR yeah. and the whatever they may be. And uh, driving a high aero car, especially a high aero sports car, is difficult. It's difficult to go above and beyond the trust of the mechanical grip and to learn what the car is capable of. So what you may gain in ease of driving and ABS and traction control certainly <laughs> – you know, you you kind of lose in the increase in aero. Do you foresee some situations where all of the WeatherTech uh, championship classes are running together? And certainly if there's bad weather involved, we could, couldn't we see some of these GTD cars, the the ones at the sharp end of the field, they could be mixing it with the, the GTLMs and, and perhaps actually outperforming them? Yeah, I mean, it depends on if they use that same tire they, they used at Petit, <laughs> because then maybe Fair nobody point has well made, yes. <laughs> but uh, certainly, yes, I do think there are certain situations where the GT3 car will be very close um, to the GTLM cars. I think that they'll do their best, certainly, to try and performance balance the gap between the two, but it's inevitable that you'll go some places in some conditions where uh, – the the GTD cars will be close, and I think that 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 will be the difficulty because mm-hmm. as much as we all kind of want that to happen in terms of if you're in a GTD car, you want to be as fast as a GTLM car. That's not what's best for the racing Correct. aspect of Correct. it. It actually makes the racing very difficult. So I I, I kind of hope that is, and it is not the case all yes. at the same time. Well, as ever, Brian, you put some thought into it. It's what we've come to expect when we, we speak to you uh, here on RadioLamont.com. Paul Miller, a great team. The the car we expect to be a good car. The championship we know is going to be highly competitive. Of course, we're going to, we've talked about that. On a purely personal level, you're a pro racing driver. Do you still get excited going into the new season? And does a challenge like this and some of the aspects that we've talked about for Brian Sellers, professional racing driver, are you excited and do you want to get started right now? Yes, is a simple answer to that. It's. Uh, I think it, if you're not if you're not excited and, and nervous, then I don't know why you still do it. I mean, for me. I always get excited to go to the racetrack. I always get nervous to get into a race. You always want to drive, you want to push and you want to go to the maximum. And, and if you're not excited about that, then I don't think it's right. I think you should do something else. And for me, I've never got in a race car and not been a little bit nervous and a little bit excited to do it. 
Good for you. Good for you. You almost seemed... We'll make this the last question because I know you've got a lot on your plate at the moment, but you almost seemed a little bit taken aback, Brian, from um, the massively positive response that you had from the fans, uh, from people within the sport, both on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, other social media. Everybody is so pleased for you getting this drive and, and to find that you are gainfully employed in 2016. Was the was the outpouring of uh, of, of emotion towards you, positive emotion, s- slightly a surprise to you? I would say it was very overwhelming in, in the best way possible. I think, I, I don't, you, I, I feel like you want to make an impact on whatever you do, whether it's with the fans, with the team, with the, your family, the people around you. And, and I think quite often when you're involved in it, you, you tend to not see what you're doing or that it is making an impact. So you kind of lose sight of what happens, but through the whole Falcon program going away, seeing the people, you know, reach out, bring us gifts, posters, you know, whatever it may be, notes, letters, and then to sign with Paul Miller, a completely new team, and to have everybody come and their congratulations and the outpouring of emotion from them is, is like I said, it's overwhelming. It's, it, you just don't think that that many people uh, support, follow, and, and you know, pull for you. So to see that is it's great. I mean, at the end of the day, I think for me, you just hope you can be a good person and people like you. And if I get to race cars along the way doing that, it's all the better. And, you know, that's it made me feel like made me feel like I must be doing something right at the racetrack to get all these people to to take the time out of their day to say congratulations. I think it's safe to say that on behalf certainly of our listeners and uh, all of the spectators and fans that I speak to, you've been doing a lot right, both in and out of the car for a very long time. Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, you've given us fantastic entertainment. You've always been a gentleman uh, in your previous career. A new chapter starts uh, in 2016, and uh, I wish you well, and I'm sure all of our listeners do too. Thanks for joining us tonight, Brian. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, isn't it, uh, to have Brian Sellers on the phone and listening to that uh, from Racer.com, Marshall Pruitt. Evening, Marshall. Hello, all. And what's this nonsense about wanting to put Sellers in a car? I've been trying to talk the Paul Miller team out of that for months, and they wouldn't listen. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, so happy for him. It's so awesome. Uh, as I told him yesterday, late last night by text, you won the Internet today. And it was just great mm. because it was great to see how many people were so excited about uh, the news that he's employed and with a great team. So good on him. A lot of people, I saw a, a, a tweet, I think, uh, when it came out, almost immediately when it came out, the team will be better for having Brian in it. And that's that's actually quite a big thing to say, but I kind of agree with it. That's not at all any detriment to Paul Miller because they are a very, very good team. Very interesting that he's paired up with Madison Snow. That is a perfect, to me, amalgamation of experience and young talent. That was my first takeaway as well, Heidi. What came to mind was... Uh, Patrick Long working with a whether well pick the young driver that uh, Patrick has influenced in his time at Porsche and thought of very much the same dynamic and possibility for Madison with uh, B Sellers as the you know, unquestioned team leader. It's not as if Madison hasn't had fantastic folks to learn from, both from his parents and teammates at, at other teams he's been with. But this to me is a real serious. Uh, 
concerted effort where we know for a full season the kid is going to get mm. to learn from Brian. Uh, Madison already knows how to go fast, so that isn't mm-hmm. so much you know, where he's lacking. Just a case of Brian being a pro's pro, whether it's sponsor relations, uh, debriefs, setup, great season ahead of learning from Madison. And then you throw in Bryce Miller for the endurance races and cool all-American lineup in an uh, Italian-Germanic car. Uh, Germanic Italian car, whatever you want to put it. Uh, Agara have uh, snagged themselves a, a Lamborghini as well, I believe. Yep, I think they. Uh, well, that's been a, among the. Uh, I don't know if I want to say worst kept news, but we've known about that one for a little while. They finally confirmed that they will have Townsend Bell and Bill Swedler, the uh, de- the new slash defending IMSA GT Daytona champions, will be uh, staying within the Italian realm of GT3 vehicles, but switching over from Scuderia Corsa's Ferrari F458 to uh, the Ogara Motorsports team and their Lamborghini Huracan. Good on them, too. Spoke with uh, team manager uh, Shane Sanavaranatnan, which I can never pronounce, nor can he. Uh, he and he and Townsend go back more than a decade. Uh, Shane led the team uh, that Townsend drove for when Townsend won the Lights title. Uh, Townsend was instrumental in bringing Shane and Tom O'Gara together to form this uh, Lamborghini, uh, what was the, the team dedicated to the Lamborghini championship. So lo and behold... Here we have Townsend effectively coming back to the team that he, I don't know if I want to say helped set up, but uh, from the engineer and uh, Gerald Tyler to Shane to Tom, brought them together. They had a great season in 2015. Cool to see Townsend coming back to now race for them with Bill. Uh, yes, and good point about the uh, Super Trofeo uh, the campaign that those guys have had in the past. Not so good news for HPD and PR one Matheson Motorsport. That looks like it's the end of the road for that potential uh, prototype entry. Yeah, uh, spoke. Been trying to stay on top of that as much as I can. HPD Vice President Steve Erickson was fairly confident uh, a deal would happen when we spoke roughly a month ago on the topic, and uh, happened to ring Bobby Ergel on Monday. PR One team owner uh, rang Bobby on Monday to say, "Hey." Just checking in, heard things might be uh, coming to some sort of conclusion. He said, give me a call back in 24 hours. Did and found out that unfortunately uh, things did come to a conclusion. Just wasn't in the consummating a deal type of conclusion. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, we could delve delve into this plenty, but uh, maybe we'll save this for another day. Let's just say that the, uh, the terms weren't uh, agreeable to both sides. And so they just both agreed to step away with PR1 essentially – uh, pushing away from the table, did confirm with HPD last night that uh, although this isn't going forward with PR1, they are definitely interested in uh, the car returning to the track with hopefully someone new. So not as if we are sales agents for them, but if there is a team that has an interest, mm-hmm. they did say we're open to phone calls. So Okay. Uh, that's that's interesting. I can think of a couple of people I might well be speaking to uh, tomorrow when I'm uh, heading up north in the car. Um Finish off with you and bring Nick back in as well, Nick Dearman, uh, with the circuit of the Americas. Uh, yes, this uh, we've we've been following the revolving door of senior <laughs> management, uh, Marshall, for a little while. Uh, By the way, I was appointed CEO last night and fired this morning. So, uh, oh, thank goodness! Because <laughs> no, because I, I had the nine to twelve shift this morning. Yes, oh. and I think I've got fifteen minutes in the job tomorrow. 
Oh, uh, well, you you you've you've you said you have got, got that at a bad time. Five because because um, Coco, my dog's got a, got an yes. afternoon there, Pat. Uh, as many things, gentlemen, this is coming down to money. the The backstory is that uh, the, the good old state of Texas mm-hmm. has been throwing um, many millions of dollars at quarter um, to recognize the tourism that yeah. it brings in into the state um, it was a 10-year commitment when the facility was built and they're going to knock about 20 to 25 percent off taking it down from five 20... and a half million dollars disappearing I think 25 19.5 I think it's gone to yes now Bernie's already said that that's untenable and he couldn't possibly do a, a race for that kind of money in America I'm surprised well, two he hasn't got an inflationary uh, rise on well, his already. he would have, but there's, there's two important points. First of all, uh, um, about just before the Cote Grand Prix, do you remember in Russia, uh, Bernie did an interview where he said he was falling out of love with America. Right. Next year, we have 21 races on the calendar, and the maximum is supposed to be 20. Right, so one's got to go anywhere. Well, it hasn't got to go, but it would be very useful if it did. Uh, what's, how's this playing in the States, Marshall, and what are you hearing? Because Cote was effectively built with the Formula One model very much at the forefront of, of everything it does. I've yet to come across a person, Heine, that has said, What? I never saw this coming. How? Where is this conjecture <laughs> coming from? Uh, uh, I've yet, not, it could happen. Uh, Heine, Nick, there are so many things about this that are amazing in reference to this track. It, it's opulent in its size and uh, it just ex- the vision for the place. I'm not saying that uh, a track stuck out in the middle of, of cows and farmland is necessarily a metropolis, but the size of it is like nothing else in North America. Beautiful facility, blah, 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 all the stuff we know once you're inside the park. But you look at the dollars it takes to keep that afloat, We've always known that was going to be sketchy on an annual basis. Sure, big launch, year one, year two, maybe even year three. But how do we keep this afloat for many years after that based on revenue, nothing more than revenue, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's been a big question. The other questions you know, from a feasible, just feasibility standpoint very quickly is it's one thing if this was – uh, placed in an area in Texas or any other state where it lacked development, it lacked attention, and this was going to be the star. This was going to be the big attraction that put Town X on the map. Mm. Well, if we're talking about vying for dollars and interest, although Austin isn't a huge name internationally, at least in America, it's known as a for a, it's a great time. If you want to have fun, music, food, whatever, mm. go to Austin. It is packed. So adding a giant, massive, and painfully expensive Grand Prix circuit there sounds wonderful. They were hoping to siphon off of Austin's reputation within the country as a yes. big place for parties and attraction, but it hasn't really happened. So if you subtract, if we're talking about state subsidies, we're going to keep funneling money into COTA to help 
draw uh, tourism and this and that. I just have to say, if it if they were to shut down tomorrow, other than a light blip on the radar, once F1 comes to town, I don't think the tourism dollars or figures would really the lack would Agreed. even be noticed. Which I it saddens me. I don't want it to go away, but good lord, I've never understood how it was going to survive without some crazy trillionaire saying, "Woohoo! Just come and get the money when you need it, friends." Uh, I still uh, maintain it'll be a great buy for its third owner. Uh, MP, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, coming up, we've got a story that I know that you're following. Uh, we'll speak to you again next week and keep an eye on racer.com for some uh, breaking stories throughout this uh, weekend. MP, thanks for being with us tonight. As we stay in the U.S. Cheers, man. As we stay in the U.S. now and check in with another friend of the show, and that's Mark Miller. Hello, Mark. Hello there. How are you? I'm all now. Hang, I'm all right, but where, but where in the world? Right, this this is. I'm kind of confused with this. Time changes always. Where are you in the world at the moment? That's the first thing that we need to to establish. I just arrived into Dallas, Texas. Actually, right now. Okay, now that kind of starts to make sense. Um, we're going to talk about motor racing in a little while, but before we do that, I want to talk about this amazing road trip that you're about to undertake because you're in in Dallas, Texas for a very particular reason, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Well, um, first, uh, we did have a scheduled uh, test day, coaching day with CJ Wilson Racing down at Motorsport Ranch, which is not far away from from, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. It's about 45 minutes away. But I'm actually on the way over to... um, a company called Skins Wrapped, who wrapped a Dodge Viper ACR Extreme Aero package that we're going to be uh, driving across country. I say we, um, it's myself and Bill Riley. I don't know. This is this is com- you've met Bill, I'm sure. This is completely bonkers. This is <laughs> this something. Is completely bonkers. This is something that should be a Burt Reynolds film. We are we, it is, we are getting to the stage of something that should be a feature film here because the car in it, in itself. Now I've seen some pictures of it. Have you seen the car in the flesh yet? Are you going to be as? I, I haven't seen the car in the flesh. I've only seen I've only seen pictures, and um, it, it looks pretty good. It's like it looks pretty good. It looks like a race car. It looks like it should cool. be at, at Le Mans. The cool thing about this is is it's it feels like. Um, I don't know. I I grew up watching Cannonball Run, and <laughs> it feels very much like this is a Cannonball Run type of deal. Let's let's take a step back from this. The car is white with the uh, blue and red racing stripes. It's wearing the the fifty three number. So this effectively is, in fact, a Le Mans a replica. Car. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a two thousand fifteen. Um, SRT, Viper, Riley Motorsports, Viper Exchange tribute car that is going to be used for track days. And there's a story behind this. It's going to be, it's going to spend most of its time in Southern California racetracks. And, um, you know, people who know, uh, people who know a little bit about CJ Wilson and the fact that I race for his team, CJ is an active track day enthusiast. And he's got, um, you know, a few cars that he likes to take the track, one of them being a McLaren P1. And um, 
one of the things that he sent me a note was, man, I am spending so much on tires. And I just read that this ACR, the tires that come on that are less than half the price of the tires that I'm running, <laughs> not the Porsche the McLaren. And he's breaking all these track records. I think it's up to 13 production car track records, one of them being um, you know, beating out the Porsche 918 at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. I just saw a that. Weeks ago. And it's just, he's like, this would be the type of track day car I really need. So uh, the story goes is like, hey, I know a guy that sells Vipers. <laughs> so, oh, do so you texted, ever? Yes. I texted Ben Keating who owns Viper Exchange. He and his partner, Bernie um, Katz, they they helped source one um, of these Vipers, which the Extreme Aero Edition, which has uh, a, a bigger wing, a diffuser, uh, dive planes, a better front splitter. It makes close to 2,000 pounds of, of downforce, which is more than any production car made. So he's all excited about this. So I said, okay, well, Take it all, you know, take it away. You guys can, can work out the details. And then something told me that I needed to try to finagle more seat time out of this. So I said, well, you know, CJ, I'm going to be in Dallas. That's not far. Let me deliver it to you. I've got nice. a couple of things to kill. And he's like, you've got to be out of your mind. All the guys at Viper Exchange are like, you know, it's, this is designed for track purposes. It's it's not a highway cruiser, so it's your back. It's your back <laughs> there. So I'm like, hey, listen, I ha- I've got to prepare. I'm going to run Lamar. Like I need to do this. <laughs> Any excuse to drive it across the country. Yes. So he agreed to it, and then he said, well, I have to wrap it anyway because I don't want to get the paint, you know, dinged up. Yes. stones and rock chips so let's do like a Lamont tribute car and i'm like oh this is gonna be so awesome well i made the mistake of telling bill riley about this little story like a couple hours later and um he was like you're kidding me i'm like no hold on a second and he hung up and he texted me and he says i'm in <laughs> so I, I called him back and i'm like what do you mean you're in i just checked with my fiance. I can go. I'm changing my schedule. I'll be in Dallas. We'll we'll drive it drive it together. So now this has now become the 24 hours of Marketville, basically. <laughs> We're going to take this Lamar Tribute Viper, drive it from Dallas to LA, wrapped like 53 car from Lamar, which is roughly a 24 hour trip. So we're either going to really even have more respect for each other when this is all done or literally hate each other. I may not be racing Lamar. <laughs> this could year. be this could be the end of your career with Viper. Yeah, this could it all could, go horribly, horribly wrong. It could be mean the end of my career with anything, to be honest. So, <laughs> um, this is gonna be a fun trip. We have, we haven't stopped talking about it for like two weeks. We've talked about the route we're gonna take, what snack foods, what type of conversation. Oh man. I hope you've yeah. got sat nav. I hope you've got GPS because you're going to fall out if you've got a map book. 
Uh, seriously, I, I mean that. This is a very special car because it's got the the Viper Exchange active suspension. It's got the big aero kit. Nice. Uh, as you said, this is this is not a Boulevard. Not not any Viper is a Boulevard cruiser, but this is not a Boulevard cruiser. I've driven Vipers before. Um, I drove the. Uh, 2015 car in 2014, uh, and these are pretty extreme cars to start with, and and this car's been to the gym and sharpened up a bit. I mean, this is not going to be oh, comfortable, yeah. Mark. I've got to tell you. Well, I think so. I actually think I've been told from very good things that the Viper Exchange active suspension that they have available for this as a as a kind of a add on makes the ride. You can adjust the the suspension to where it's really comfortable on the highway. Now, comfortable on the highway in relative terms to what it would be on the track, I would think. But it's certainly not going to be... Um, we're going to have to stop. We, we even checked the, the fuel tank. I think the, the amount of distance that we can travel is just over 200 miles. So we're going to have to stop and stretch a little bit anyway to refuel. So it's it's. I think we're going to be just fine. I sat in one at SEMA and... Um, Bernie from Viper Exchange, he really ran me through the all the um, the sequences that I need to know and setting up the computer and, and a lot of the fun aspects, the traction control systems and some of some nice. of these things. So I've got a direct line of access to when we <laughs> finally get in this car, you know, a little while, and I'm going to drive it. What does the, the big hotel. red button do? What is it? Don't touch the big <laughs> red button. Don't, don't touch the big red button. Too late. Button. Uh, seriously though we, we have to make the point this is not a race you are not going to break any records here you, effectively you're taking this car to deliver it from 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 uh, across from Dallas to LA to to get it across to 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 CJ and we wish you all the best in that and we'll be able to follow your progress as well you're going to do uh, a little uh, 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 some bits and pieces for road and track with Marshall Pruitt aren't you Yes, I'm really excited about that because Road and Track um, published a three-part blog I did this year, uh, being a rookie at Lamar, and I'd never done a blog before. I'm, I'm it not... was great, man! It was great. And I, I got a lot of good feedback, and I got really excited about it. And um, we we talk about this. I actually spent all day yesterday. Not all day. I like to exaggerate. I, I spent a few hours yesterday going through all of the GoPros that we're going to install on the car. So we're going to have a little bit of video. Nice. Um, we're going to be able to put some video together and, and maybe record some of the conversations Bill and I have as guys driving across the country, road tripping with eating Twizzlers and junk food and beef jerky and stuff like that. <laughs> um, oh, the humanity. <laughs> as well as some outside shots of the car and some, some cool things. So, I think it's going to be. We've talked about it. It's like if this this is like a pilot episode. If if this works nice. well, we'd like to do this again. And um, you know, I'm in. I'm in. For, I'm in for the for the next big car trip. Okay, two questions already coming in on Twitter. Um, who gets to choose the music, and who's paying the fuel bill? That's, that's the okay. So these are both great questions. So. We never talk about the fuel bill, so I assume that Bill's going to pay for that because <laughs> I'm taking him with me. Nice. But that probably won't go over very well. Um, as far as the music, the passenger is in charge of the radio. Uh. And the, um, the radio in this thing, 
That's the one. It's the only drawback is it's a three speaker system. It's not. It's a track day car, so it's the radio is like an afterthought. You can upgrade to like a eleven speaker surround system, but right now it's just like three speakers. So I don't think we're going to use the radio very much um, until the conversation gets really, really boring. Hey, you've got that. You've got happen. that sonorous V10 in front of you exactly. with, the, with the pipes underneath you, where exactly where you're sitting, the the, the symphony will come from the cylinders and, and, and from the engine. Um, I, I, I think it's brilliant, and I, and I wish you the best of, best of luck on it. And, uh, and we you know, be safe, do everything that you need to do, and, and stay, stay under the speed limit. That's, that's very important. We're not suggesting at any stage that there'll be any laws broken here. Before I let All you right. go, before I let you go, got to talk about you and your announcement uh, last week, actually, um, uh, that was made at SEMA about your racing career. Uh, and how it's moving forward. We were delighted to to be able to talk to you when you were going to go to Le Mans last year. And uh, big news again for you this year: more more Viper driving on the horizon, and, and not necessarily just just from, right. Not from even Dallas road trip Viper. Exactly, not even road trip Viper. Well, and that's that's the interesting part of this is so Bill and I are going to drive across to LA, and then a day later we're flying to Daytona for the first official uh, WeatherTech. Uh, sports car challenge series uh, uh, test day and Daytona in the Viper GT3R. So that'll be the first experience I've had with that car in the new GT3 trim with the ABS and traction control. Yeah. Um, so in in this one week span, we're gonna do several fun things. But I'm beyond excited to be back, invited back to. To race again and it really came down to when uh, uh, Ben and Bill just, you know were looking at what they want to do for Lamar for 2016 um, the results were good as far as the continuity of the drivers and they wanted to continue that into next year if they were going to go back they want to go back with the same three drivers and that was just an honor to even have that said after this year's race and, you know, even then I would have been, wow, that's just, that's a fantastic feeling. Even if it didn't work out that way, it still feels good to have them feel um, that way about how everything went at the race, even though we didn't finish where we, where we felt like we should have. But going into 2016, they said, well, you know, it would be better if you spent more time in the car and we would all be it would be better for the team to go back to Lamar if we had been working together. So if you are interested and we can make it work, would you want to do Daytona and Sebring? And I don't, I honestly don't know why they included Petite Lamar. I'm not complaining at all, but it's after Lamar. So yes, I think it's because it has Lamar in the name. It's kind of like, they felt like they had to add, throw that in there, but it would be a four race deal. Three of them, and the, U- the U.S. and and then the and Lama again, which is a pretty busy schedule with preparing for it and testing. And you don't realize from the outside looking in how much time commitment that is. But it's it's a lot of commitment to, to do it. Mark, I've got to ask. First, I mean, brilliant, well done, and absolutely deserved given your performance um, on on a very short call last year. So, well done. On that fella, 
I've got to say this has got to be bittersweet for you and for many car enthusiasts because, of course, the Viper, and I've been involved with the Viper since its very early days in Europe and, and drove one of the Le Mans cars at uh, Paul Ricard in Le Mans trim, so 200 miles an hour uh, down the Mistral straight in in that thing. Drove, I think I drove one of the first road-going hardtop cars that came across to Europe, which was uh, in the blue and white uh, colours. The GTS. Yeah, the GTS. God, what a yes. car that was. And I drove that in the south of France and, and at Le Mans when they first came over, uh, rather than the RT10, which was the first car that we saw, of course. But Viper is coming to an end. It it it, it has a, a finite life, and, and I'm afraid it's not going on very long. And, and that, to me, in the... And I'm sure a lot of enthusiasts, and I'm sure you too, you know... You look at American sports cars and, you know, if I dare say it, Corvette clearly has its place. Mustang has its place. But Viper has built a very big part of people's hearts and minds over the, the last, what, couple of decades. And it's coming to an end. Well, keep in mind, John, it came to an end before, too, and then it was brought back. So I think a lot of people are standing on the fence and looking at this as not an end to something, but like hopefully just a break where they can bring that brand back. And I think that's happened. That's happened with a lot of um, famous marks and, and it just, it's in a situation. And obviously I, I am not a Dodge employee and don't know the inner workings of the company, but I have to think that um, this is not a brand name that they want to lose forever. Um, it's just, it's not feasible to do. So I know that there's some very loyal uh, Dodge Viper owners out there that want to see the Viper continue. And, and certainly it's, uh, you know, Ben and, and the entire Viper exchange team. I mean, that's their job is to sell Vipers. So um, there's no shortage of them right now. I know that, It'd be the new car would be a good one to get their hands on, especially because it's that end, you know, that end of the run. Um, but I have to think that years down the line, maybe not even that long, that this is going to be something that they're going to bring back. No. Um, I would hope so because it's it, like you said, it is such an iconic brand, and it hasn't a market. And there's serious fans. I know when we were, went to Lamar the number of fans that came up and said, we are so happy that the Viper is competing this year. This is, this is a big thing to see. It was definitely a draw for the fans to come see. And, um, it goes from not just in, in just in Europe, but in the U S as well, because you see a Corvette all the time, you see them every day on the street almost, uh, but you don't see the Viper as often. And, and when you see the Viper race car, it's kind of a draw pulls you right in. Uh, there's just something magical about that street car that was turned into a, a race car and went and won its class at Le Mans. And uh, there's just so much about it to to like. Uh, Mark, I wish you the best in this ru- 
Hmm. Uh, this this road. Trip, I, I hope you've got some change of clothes uh, and you've got st- stuff that. Oh, we have to pack light. Remember? Oh yeah, I know. Not a lot of truck space. <laughs> um, I can hardly recommend spider clothing because it wicks sweat very well and it doesn't get smelly. Okay, I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, say hi to Bill for us and hi to CJ when you hand the keys over. Can't wait to read okay. and see all about it on road and track. Uh, and and congrats again. On the drive for, for 2016, Mark. We'll, we'll catch up with you at the Raw before. Sounds good. Don't forget to check that 24 hours of Mark and Bill hashtag, too. We'll probably be posting stuff on the road. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. I'll just go back to uh, something you said during that interview, John. You may. Uh, you said you uh, uh, tested one of those Corvettes at Paul Ricard. Um, that that would have been a Viper, yes. Viper, sorry, yes. Um, mm-hmm. What happened to that uh, car? Uh, the race car? Mm. Mm, yes, it uh, it ended up with uh, one less uh, rear reflector in it than it started with. Yes. Mm. I've got a recording of that somewhere. We Good. should really find that. Um, by the way, uh, Tim did some arithmetic during that. They'll have to average 80 kilometres an hour, 60 miles an hour. 50 miles an hour. 50 miles an hour to do that, average that, to do that trip in 24 hours. So they can't, they can't afford to hang it's about. Nothing. It's a light, uh, lightweight road trip. Yeah, so I, th- I think they should mm. be able to do that uh, quite comfortably. Um, mm. And uh, seven-stop strategy, of course. <laughs> Depends how big the tank is. Seriously, and, and two hundred miles on a tank. Yeah, so that's seven stops is what you reckon, is it? Yeah, fourteen hundred miles. Okay, well, we wish them. Uh, and twenty-four hours of Mark and Bill is the hashtag, and you'll find that on. Uh, Not wishing to get pedantic. Well. That's six stops. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh, it's uh, seven stops that they'd need to do. No, okay. because well, that's not it's the end when they get there, I suppose. <laughs> Because it's 1,600 miles. Then because it's not 1,600 miles. It's 1,270 miles. But uh, okay. Um, All right. I think he said it was 200 kilometres per right. uh, on a load of fuel. On a anyway. Anyway, moving on from that. Pack four gram tonight this comes to an end with pointless press release pointless of the press week. Release of the week. Um, is uh, here for its uh, badly writtenness. She said ironically Racing Engineering is pleased to announce its partnership renewal with DHL the worldwide largest express network and most international company What? I think some of those words were the right words but not in the right order Is this this uh, something translated from a different language? The logos of one of the most recognisable international companies in the world are back on Racing Engineering's cars for the closing rounds of the 2015 GP2 Series Championship. The season that started successfully at the beginning of the season <laughs> yes, yes. reaches its climax during GP2's flyaway races where Racing Engineering can count on the support of the company whose motto is Excellence Simply Delivered for all of its logistical needs. At the end of the season, which is at the end of the season. I think I like where the fact that the season started successfully where it started. Because if it yeah. had to start, it wouldn't start successfully, would it? Well, tr- but it could Indeed. have started without starting successfully. If no, it hadn't started, I think, I think by they starting, wouldn't need a partnership with DHL. But I think by yeah. just by starting, it started successfully. Ah, very good. DHL no is present in over 220 countries and territories across the world, making it the most international company in the world. Uh, no, I don't believe that. I'm sure there's companies which are more... 
222 territories. That's yeah. a lot of territories. That is a lot of territories. I didn't think Even there was that CNN many territories. It's only 198 countries, I think, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Uh, the other thing I liked about this is the uh, vice president of DHL Aviation Middle East and Africa is mm-hmm. called Malcolm Macbeth. <laughs> Can't say that. Yes, you can, because it's not in reference to the Scottish play. Uh, uh, one more good. thing well tonight, done. though. Yes. It's a knockout. Ah. That, uh, for people who are outside of the uh, of the UK, uh, used to be the theme tune for a programme called It's a Knockout. People in France would have, uh, and Belgium would have seen the same programme with the same music and a different uh, title. Yes, and different presenters. And sometimes different presenters. Well, they did do a European version, didn't they? Where Je, Je sans frontières. Games, games without frontiers. Yes, absolutely. This is Basically, the... loads of people from different parts of the country, from different hamlets, villages and towns, did silly things. With water, styrofoam and custard. And, and penguins. Peng- penguin suits. Yeah, with styrofoam suits. And giant suits. Yeah. Come on, quickly, quickly. Uh, this is Argentinian Super TC2000 touring cars. <laughs> You've got it in. Okay. Uh, because uh, their li- latest round at uh, the San Martin circuit in Mendoza uh, featured a joker lap, or in fact two joker laps. What? Yes, it did. Yes, a two, First a time ever. Um, First time ever in a circuit race. It what, so they've got two, two versions of the track? Yes. Yes. And oh. twice in each race, each driver was allowed to take the shortcut, which would have saved them eight seconds. Uh, the race was, uh, or first across the line to take the checkered flag, was Norberto Fontana. Remember him? I do remember yeah. him. He was on well. pole position. He used his two jokers towards the end of the race, uh, first to see the checkered flag, uh, and was then relegated to 12th because uh, each time he used the joker lap, he crossed the yellow blend line, which he uh, shouldn't have done, and was given a 15-second penalty for each one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, joker laps in, in circuit racing. Mm. I expect to see it in the British Touring Car Championship next season. You'll certainly see it in Super TC 2000 next season because they've said it'll come back uh, for one round next year as, again. Is ah, it's uh, uh, Phil Rouge. Yeah. Uh, only people in England would, uh, in the UK, would know. And we can't do in person, other bloke. He's discredited. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Mutley. Mutley, Uh, Don't forget, tomorrow night uh, at 8 o'clock, it's Matt Hunter and the rest of the team for the Torah Radio Show. The November issue uh, is uh, on the air from 8. Join them then. And we'll be back next week at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. Thank you very much to all of our guests. Uh, You'll be on assignment, yes. Uh, I'll I'll be uh, contributing, but from a location. Possibly. From a location. You might be contributing. (laughs) Some technology. And uh, we'll have some details about our end-of-season specials uh, as well Ooh. coming next Ooh, week yes. as well. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, don't forget Super GT at the weekend in sound and vision on the Super GT page at RadioLamont.com. Thanks to all our guests and contributors. Uh, our executive producer was Tim Gray, responsible adult Eve Hewitt. I'm John Hindoff for Nick Gray. And, uh, Nick Gray? Hello. Nick, Nick <laughs> Dearman and the rest of the team. Thanks for listening. And there's no time to explain because the llama is dressed as a penguin. <laughs> This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.